All right, Triple M fam, welcome to session three of the season two. It's your girl, Ray Scotty. And Dr. Burns. And we are wanting to thank you for pressing play, choosing to be here with us today to listen to our podcast. Thank you for joining the journey to help promote the advancement and awareness of mental health care in the Black community. So this month's topic is one for the book. We're talking about the eating culture of Black Americans. So keep listening as we discuss force feeding, food pushing, soul food and diabetes or high blood pressure, eating disorders, and how it all affects the mental health of Black Americans. So we're going to initially start off with our article of the month. And so I pulled this information from the Emily Project. Project. It's specifically talking about eating disorders in the black community, things that we don't really talk about. And we need to know that it's mainly rooted in a white dominated, um, it's a white dominated disorder, medically, psychologically, and psychiatric systems. And our knowledge of eating disorders are largely based on the experiences of thin privileged white women, because that's really the community that has the resources to receive treatment. Um, I personally work in eating disorder treatment and the treatment is so expensive. So it's not many other communities, other marginalized communities that have access to resources to have eating disorder treatment or could afford it. Yeah, I have never heard of anyone that I personally know going to treatment for eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's something that we're going to talk about today because I think a lot of our population in the black community, it's underreported. Um, so maybe if we talk about some of the highlights um, about and disorder eating, it may show some, some people that maybe they need to look more closely at their eating patterns and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, but although our experiences are based mainly off of the reports of the po- population of white women, Eating disorders do affect people of color and black people at significantly high rates. We just have limited research involving black participants. However, we do know that recurrent binge eating is more common among black women than among white women. Black girls are 50% more likely than white girls to engage in bulimic behaviors or self-induced vomiting. And then... Anorexia is less common in Black Americans than white Americans, but Black Americans with anorexia develop the disorder at a younger age and struggle with it for longer periods of time. So it's important to note that even with this research, and it's based on the frameworks and diagnostics of white women, white men that treated the white women, accurate estimation of the prevalence within our community is difficult because it's believed that a large part of Black Americans with eating disorders, like I mentioned earlier, are unreported and untreated. So it's kind of hard to grasp who has disordered eating or an eating disorder and who doesn't. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about some possible causes, some that we personally may think may be some of the possible causes, and then some others that you as an, um, working in this eating with eating disorders may know more about. Yes, let's get into it. So now it's time for our Q&A. 
I got the first question. So what are some common feeding issues experienced by Black American children? And I would say growing up, mm -hmm. one of the things that we were told in our household at my mom and my dad's house um, was that we had to clean our plates before we were allowed to get up from the table. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the biggest things. And I specifically remember um, an incident when it was something that my um, brother didn't want to eat. Mm -hmm. And as a result of him not eating his food, he wasn't allowed to go out to play that day. Mm -hmm. So punishment, um, associated with feeding was one of the things that we experienced growing up or that in my household we experienced growing up um also bribery I would say you know if you finish all your food then you know as a reward the opposite of the punishment as a reward then you can go outside and play right did you have any um, experience with any of those things growing up? Um, I know that when I was growing up, I was a very, very picky eater. I had a lot of texture issues, um, a lot of sinus issues. So I was often like nauseous because my sinuses were always draining. So it made it hard for me to eat things like yogurt or oatmeal or cereal or anything milk or dairy related. Um, I remember when I was in daycare, my um the teacher forced me to drink a cup of milk and i had told her i don't remember what age i was but i had told her i can't drink milk mm -hmm. forced me to drink it or i couldn't go outside with the other kids to play and then i ended up becoming sick and threw up all over the floor and she called my mom and my mom was like well you should have listened to her uh um, right. you can't drink milk and then yeah i've had other issues at home like where i was forced to eat oatmeal um, we had that same sentiment in our household, like you got to eat, you got to clean your plate, you got to be strong, you got to be healthy. Um, so that came up a lot. And so now I still have like texture issues with like oatmeal, mm -hmm. dairy and, and things like that, pudding, rice, um, some rices I can't eat. Um, but yeah, it was a thing. And I feel like it gives us the wrong impression and things that I've learned in working with eating disorders is that our bodies are intuitive and especially with young children, they know when they're hungry and they know when they are not hungry. So yeah. it's important to let them establish those hunger cues. That way they don't turn into binge eating or eating when they're not hungry or eating when they're bored uh, or feeling like there's, like you mentioned, punishment around food um, because that's how issues develop. So, but I think it's, it's something deeper beyond that with our black community with making us finish the food before we leave the table. Yeah, and I was thinking about that. Um, growing up, probably for a lot of our um, parents, they were feeding us based off of, you know, what they could afford. So a lot of times the snacks or additional things outside of our primary meals, they could not afford. So they were 
trying to or could have been trying to make sure that, you know, we were full from that meal because mm-hmm. they knew that they could not offer based on affordability, you know, snacks and things outside of those primary meals. Right. Yeah. I think I think in addition to that, I think a lot of things stem from like slavery and like that having that slave mindset of you're not going to get food very often. So you need to eat as much as you can or right. or we're going to be out working all day. You need to eat so you can have energy to work. And so it just kind of translated through the years into eat, eat everything on your plate, eat your eat what we put in front of you type of thing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's I think it's very common. So uh, let's talk about like how does disordered eating develop or how mm-hmm. does disorders develop or manifest? Um, so working in eating disorders, I've learned that it is very emotional. Um, a lot of people think eating disorders, you fix the behavior of the eating, you regulate the eating and everything's fixed. When in actuality, eating disorders are so entangled with our emotions that we mm-hmm. do a lot of exposure work, emotional regulation, um, and expression to, to kind of change the disorder eating. Um, they can develop, I feel like in many different ways. Um, it just depends on what your stems from. So like anorexia, bulimia, nervosa, um, ARFID, it just depends on what the issue is. It can be body image related, um, to where you're actively trying to lose weight because it's, entangled in body image um, Mm -hmm. or it could be food texture issues so becoming restrictive of your food because you don't like certain textures or you have sensory issues Um, it could be because of trauma punishment around the table Um, there's so many things it's not just the behavior you have to address the emotion too I don't think a lot of people you know um, associate the two but Mm -hmm. definitely it has to be um treated the mental health part has to be treated along with you know the ordered eating right it definitely needs to be treated you can't treat one without the other for sure so talking about the mindset of um things that were passed down through slavery Mm -hmm. with eating disorders um one thing that we mentioned in um, advertising for this session is um, soul food yeah. and eating that soul food and where it came from. African Americans eating pork or rice, yams, greens, those kind of mm-hmm. associated with the transatlantic slave trade. So during that time when um, our ancestors were coming over here, many of the rice, the yams, the greens were carried along with them from Africa. Mm -hmm. And those um, foods were easier to cook in bulk, Mm -hmm. pretty cheap as well. And given to the slaves as a mean of um, not even being nutritional, yeah, but something to keep them full, kind of hold them over until they got here. So a lot of people, the things that we've come to enjoy, we know, especially in the deep south, that soul food has been tied to that. Mm-hmm. 
What are your thoughts on eating soul food, being immersed in that culture? What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I definitely think that a lot of it stems from, like we said, like slavery, um, being brought from one continent to the other, trying to keep our traditions alive. I also think it stems from, like you mentioned, like being given certain foods. A lot of them were just kind of given to us to keep us full. We got like the bad cuts of the meat, like chitlins and hog maw and pig's feet. and Yes, the ham hogs. Yeah, right, all of those things. And being that Black people are so resilient, we mm-hmm. took the worst parts of the animal and turned it into some of our, some of the country's most favorite food. Uh, right. With learning how to fry chicken, how to make chitlins, greens and neck bones, or greens and turkey, turkey in it. It's just, we took something so ugly that was just given to us as like an afterthought. And I think that's where Black people find a lot of joy around the table because that's where we could commune and have conversation and see each other um from slaves to present day we look into um getting to know each other over a meal or finding something really good to eat probably because there wasn't that much joy going around back then in the days of slavery and so once you got yeah you got to see your family members you got to see your friends your neighbors and you got to sit and have a meal why not turn it into something really, really good? And so that's, I think that's, I feel like that's how soul food kind of really started um, mm-hmm. and still goes on today. I don't think there's anything wrong with soul food. I think that being in the black community, know, knowing that we are um, highly susceptible to getting like high blood pressure, diabetes, things like that. We have to be really conscientious of moderation. How much are we allowing ourselves to eat? How often are we eating these um fried foods these foods that are high in fat how much are we you know paying attention to those things um so our next our next question that we're going to talk about is are eating disorders similar to substance use disorder um so what do you think about that burns working in substance abuse um i really don't know much about eating disorders at all um i would Probably say because of the connection to, like you mentioned, trauma Mm -hmm. and the stemming um, of there being a motivation behind it. I would say the connection is there. Um, The similarity is there as far as the history or the Mm -hmm. reason why. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I could see the similarity, some, some of the causes. But I'm not sure. And then because of, you know, some of the causes being the same, some of the treatment being the the same as well with some added difference. So eating disorders are definitely very similar to substance use disorder. They're treated very differently because one is looked at or can be looked at as like a psychological illness versus eating disorders get a bad rap for being like vain or people being obsessed with how they look and the aesthetic when it's many different variations of eating disorders. Um, And so both of them, substance use and eating disorders are behavior that you're using to cope with emotions. So Mm -hmm. um, whether it's trauma, depression, um, boredom, sadness, some people may pick up a drink. Some people may not eat for a few days. Some people may 
use an illicit drug. Some people may binge eat to make themselves feel happy in the moment. So both of them are very similar in terms of it's a behavior that you're using to kind of manage your emotions. Um, and so there's different ways to treat them, but it's kind of like how alcoholism can lead to cirrhosis of the liver. Binge eating, or depending on what you're binge eating on, it, it causes so much damage um, to your body. It, it, anorexia can shut down all of your organs. You can dehydrate and each one of your organs will shut down slowly. Um, and eating disorders have the highest um, rate of morbidity in the United States as far as mental health concerns go. That is um, interesting to know about the level of morbidity. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I know it's something that's not talked about, but I can definitely see how some of the treatments would be different. Yeah. Um, a lot of the program, like a lot of, when I worked in substance use, it was more learning how to cope with the emotions, like using something else other than alcohol. When I'm working in eating disorders, it's more so exposure therapy. So learning how to sit with your emotions without having to use something to help you manage it. Um, but I'm pretty sure it just depends on what company what model they're using there's there's some crisscross in there somewhere yes and while you were saying that um i was thinking the main difference like the um top priority in the difference is that eating is something that we all have to do right absolutely so you mentioned um earlier about soul food and its connection diabetes and um, high blood pressure but also mm -hmm. to obesity and part of that I can see being um, connected to eating disorders as far as binge eating mm -hmm. can also be related to you know the obesity and some of the other um, health issues yeah. Um, the biggest thing that runs in my family is high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us are um, overweight as well. And then associated with that is the high blood pressure. And I've noticed that most of our family functions, like you said, those get together comes with that fried food. Um, yeah. And some of that soul food, especially fried chicken, whether it's football weekend and it's some party wings, mm -hmm. or whether it's our Thanksgiving um, dinner. But a lot of us um, do have in my family um, high blood pressure. But I have had some great examples in seeing, especially my father, um, being welcoming to using devices like the air fryer more. Mm -hmm. So he has lost a lot of weight um, over the past year. And a lot of that was thanks to air frying, whether it was fish or chicken. And he's cut back on like pork and beef. So a lot of things can be substituted, I would say. Yeah. Like in that air fryer, and he's cut back. Both of both him and I have issues with sweets. We love sweets. Yeah, me too. So 
he has been able to um, provide a good example when it comes to cutting back on those things that he loves because he loves some soul food. But yeah, he knows that to live longer and to be with the family longer, cutting back on you know that hydrogenated oil is the best thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's definitely about your intentionality behind what you're doing and um, making sure that you just, you find a balance, you find moderation, um, mm -hmm. having your soul food, but then being able to swap it up some days, um, which is important. And that kind of is a good segue into diet culture. Um, so what is diet culture? We've come to learn of it as um, going through just fad diets, going through joining the trends. Like right now, veganism is really, really uh, heavy. There's vegan shops popping up all over the place. People are going vegan, being vegetarian, pescatarian. Um, although for some people, it's actually their lifestyle. It's how they want to live. There's ethical reasons for being vegetarian or being vegan. Um, some people are doing it because they want to lose weight or they've expressed you know, not being happy with their body image. And so it's a quick way to lose some weight. Um, that's also something that we consider restriction. Um, so restricting or avoiding certain food types to improve, quote unquote, your body image. Um, so it's, you just have to be careful with certain things, labeling food as good or bad, um, positive or negative, especially around kids, like junk food. Um, you're not allowed to eat that versus saying, well, maybe we need to have dinner first and see how you feel afterwards, or we can have some today. Um, so again, finding that, that balance and finding that moderation versus completely cutting out all foods. Um, cause that can eventually lead to an eating disorder. Or, um, if when you restrict yourself from something for so long, like sweets or foods that you really like, it can then turn to the other end of the spectrum, which is binge eating. So being uncontrollable around certain foods. So again, it's kind of a balancing act, just trying to find, we have to eat every day. So what can I do to find something to eat that benefits me and that makes me feel good in my body? Yeah, I would say that personally, I've been on some type of diet probably every other year mm -hmm. since middle school, probably. Mm -hmm. Part of that was weight, but part of it, um, like you said, I would say in middle school, exploring for um, ethical reasons as far as um, vegetarian. And then mm -hmm. as I got older, I would say more so for weight, especially over these last couple years, try the keto mm -hmm. diet and... I think that was the last one that I've tried, but dieting is not for me. Yeah, it can be hard. It, it can be really hard, like limiting yourself um, and not saying that it's wrong to diet. But when you find yourself doing it, like you said, like every other year or saying I'm getting off track or I'm getting I need to get back on track. Um, it's important to kind of just really question, like, what is my intention here? Where can I find a little bit of happiness with where I'm at in my life in terms of my body, my size, um, and things like that? So it can be tricky. 
but it all comes down to, I think, your intentionality. Because I've got caught up in that, too, previously, like getting into diets and taking diet pills um, some years ago. So dieting versus mindful movement, I'm working out because this feels good, or I'm working out because this is punishment because I ate something I shouldn't have eaten, shouldn't have, in quote, unquote. Um, but, yeah, it's a lot to think about. Yeah, and that just makes me think about control as mm -hmm. far as eating and dieting, especially. Some people, like you said, it's the intentionality behind it. Yeah. If your intention like this is the one part of my life that I can control, mm -hmm. then I would give that a second thought in going on that diet. If you're right. thinking this only thing in my life that I'm gonna that I can control or that I have control over, then it could possibly lead in the future to an eating disorder. Absolutely. And it's funny that you brought that up because control is something that comes up every day working with eating disorders. That's mm -hmm. something a lot of people with like anorexia or binge purge disorder struggle with they've been through trauma and the only way that the only thing that they could control as a child was their food or their exercise regimen or something like that. So control is very, very prominent in eating disorders. So when I was looking to learn more about eating disorders, because like I said, that's not my um, background. What I found in one of the studies, a study that was completed in 2010 about um, African-Americans and bench eating or eating disorders in general, one thing I found was that um, Ben for African-Americans usually developed around the age of 23. Bulimia nervosa developed around the age of 21. And then, like you said earlier, um, anorexia nervosa, it developed on average around the age of 15. And the highest of the three for African-Americans, both male and females, was bench eating. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that bench eating is more common in African-Americans than anorexia is? So my, my theory is that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with lack of access to certain foods mm -hmm. uh, being put on um, certain, only having a certain amount of money you're bringing to the household. So when you got food that you liked or you got food and you haven't had food in a really long time, I'm going to eat all of it. Right. I don't know when I'm going to get this cake again. I don't know when I'm going to get this ham again. I don't know when I'm going to get this, whatever food it is that you like that's in the house, I'm going to eat it because I haven't had it for a long time. I don't know when I'm going to have it again. So I'm going to eat it. Um, so I think that is like a huge reason why binge eating disorder is something really common in, in the black household. Um, and then a lot of times I've heard with like grandmothers, it comes down to, to grandmothers in the house. You, you see your kids to go stay with grandma and they load them up on sugar. And oh sugar. yeah. And then, then when they go back to their parents' house, parents is like, what did you, like, what's going on? And now you can't have no more because you ate too much. Mm-hmm. And you're just waiting and looking and waiting and looking to get those sweets again. So then it just kind of turns into a habit. 
Um, so yeah, I think there's many reasons, but I feel like lack of access to it. Um, and then that restrictive pattern of going to someone's house who did have it. And now you're waiting to, to get it again. So when you do get it, you can't control yourself. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I remember I'm a huge fan of, um, my 600 pound life. Mm hmm so I watch I've watched every single episode and I'm always interested in the mental health part of it, um, mm -hmm. what they're thinking, their thoughts, how they grew up. And for a lot of the African Americans that I've seen on the show, is that background of we didn't have it in the home, like a food or a certain type of food. Mm -hmm. And when we did, when we finally got it. Or when I finally, like you said, went over grandma's house, then I ate it all because, yeah. you know, I didn't know when was the next time we would be getting it. Or I didn't know when I would be back over grandma's house to eat like this again. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of what I have experienced from that show. And just seeing that show, um, a lot of the binge eaters, it teaches you a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of just kind of like My 600 Pound Life and seeing that that's kind of like a mainstream show that we have watched, let's talk about how America views eating disorders or disordered eating. Well, how do you think American culture views eating disorders? It's not taken seriously. Mm-hmm, yep. As serious as it should be. Some people consider it to be a thing of the privileged. Yeah. And other people don't consider the mental health aspects behind it. So they consider that it's a choice. Right. So I would say a lot of insensitivity around it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, especially in our culture, African-American culture, I would say insensitivity is probably one of the biggest words in association with eating disorders right. and people not thinking that the person is actually going through something and needs treatment. Right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, there's so much to talk about around it. Um, first of all, the perception in America or in American culture is that eating disorders look one way and it's mm -hmm. white and thin um, when there are so many different eating disorders. Um, and, and even the ones that you do think of the most like anorexia nervosa, those can, we're, they've moved away from like the weight. So having a certain weight is a minimum requirement or a minimum criteria to meet, to be diagnosed with anorexia. It's so much more into what are your behaviors? What are you focused on in terms of like body image, weight goals? Um, are you restricting? Um, but within American culture and in black culture, we don't even recognize that. It's like, oh, she just don't eat or she eat like a bird um, when it could be something totally different. Yeah. Going to the surface, like something emotional. Um, and I think that makes it hard for us to see people with potential eating disorders because a lot of times nowadays eating disorders don't look like what we think they look like. Um, they come in all shapes and sizes, all ethnicities. Um, 
And it's hard to talk about it because our culture is so much like into aesthetics. We tell people, oh, you look good. Or, oh, you look like you lost weight or what have you been doing? And if someone has an eating disorder, that can be very triggering for them, um, especially when every almost every holiday family gathering is centered around food. Right. So it's kind of hard to to manage if you do have an eating disorder um, because you don't know if you can talk to someone about it, especially in the black community, because we don't really report having eating disorders or acknowledge that they exist. Yeah, I'm just thinking about... You know, you said the holidays coming up and not only the food associated with the holidays, but being in those family settings, especially with um, our older relatives. And one of the biggest things, like you said, is the commenting on, you know, the body and how a person looks. Yep. I think some older people don't give it a second thought. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I remember just growing up and my great-grandmother telling my mom when she would walk in the house, you look like you put on a few pounds. Yeah. And her not even thinking, like, second thinking about it. But that definitely can have an effect, whether it's telling somebody that they've gained weight or the opposite, telling somebody it looks like they're losing weight, because that could be an encouragement to continue some of the uh, behavior, especially bulimia. Um, if that um, person, you know, gets what we would consider maybe a compliment, that could be encouragement to continue that behavior. Absolutely. Compliments definitely encourage people to continue doing the compensatory behaviors that they're engaging in, like restricting or only eating a certain amount of calories a day, um, getting on the scale multiple times a day. I also think that we have to be careful of how we talk about our own bodies, especially if we have kids, because yes. yeah, there's so many people that come through um, treatment to where they were like, I look like my mom and I grew up hearing my mom say, oh, I need to lose weight or oh, I don't like my hips or I don't like my face. I don't like my shoulders. And so that becomes ingrained in us. And now we don't like our hips. We don't like our shape. We don't like our bodies. And so that starts the trend of I have to lose weight. I have to look like a certain thing. I have to look like a certain person when it's really not feasible because whatever your genetic predisposition is, that's what you got. That's what you got to work with. So I, I'm really into this body neutrality thing that we're going towards body acceptance um and just being learn how to be appreciative of our body and eating what you want to eat if it brings you joy and finding that balance and moderation with our food right absolutely it's hard to tell somebody else they're beautiful and for them to believe it when they have a similar body shape to you and they hear you talking bad about your own self so that's definitely true mm -hmm. so how can we keep our culture but eat healthier what do you think about that um I, so i think if we like acknowledge what we talked about earlier like there's the whole diet culture thing um then we have the soul food that we want to keep in our culture I think we are in life just constantly trying to find a balance of what brings me joy, what's good for me, what makes sure that I can be here for a long time. 
So have your soul food on those days that you want to, on that good Sunday after you done went to church and got that good word. Have your soul food. Go meet up with your family. And then also know that maybe we could try to incorporate other ways of eating, like you mentioned earlier with like using the air fryer um, sometimes or just swapping it up and having some moderation in what we're eating. Um, I think it's important to uphold our cultural beliefs and some of the things that, you know, we grew up with, um, but also learn how to take care of our bodies and what that looks like. So eating things that make you feel good versus always making you sleepy and sluggish after you have a meal. Um, paying attention to what your body feels like after breakfast, after lunch, after dinner, um, just to say, well, if I don't feel good after eating this, maybe I, I might not eat it as often, or maybe I change what I'm eating so I can have that energy throughout the day. So just really paying attention to what we are, um, doing with our bodies. I think what would be helpful, um, or what has been helpful to me is, Remembering the opposite of that growing up and that um, food forcing Mm -hmm. is I don't have to clean my plate. I don't have to finish my meal. So in my head, I now have a point where I register. I am full. Yeah, And most of the time when we get that sleepy feeling, it's because we have overeaten. Yeah. So sometimes it's not just, you know, the type of food that we've eaten, it's how much we've eaten. So that's one of the things that um, I definitely consider now is if I'm starting to feel full, it takes a while for our body to register that we are actually full. So sometimes talking in between eating is helpful. Mm-hmm. And it slows down the pace of what you're eating and how much you're eating because your body has that time to process some of that food and say, hey, I'm full. Yeah. I've so heard- that has been helpful. Um, changing some of the things while cooking like previously before our family when we would cook we would put some ham hocks in the greens some bacon in the greens maybe some um, bacon fat or Crisco now we've changed to using things like smoked turkey instead Mm -hmm. so just those small changes and changing um, what those gatherings are, you know, about or around. For example, um, church being at church is one of the one of the places where a lot of people eat. Mm-hmm. So changing some of the meals. In my church, we have an annual health fair, so each year. We have some cooks come out and show us some of the ways that we can eat healthier and still have that um, culture as cultural aspect um, within our cooking. Right. So that's just some of the things that have been helpful in keeping our culture, but eating healthier. Mm-hmm. And so that that goes into how do you manage an eating disorder? So this. Distinguish- 
difference between wanting to change up our eating habits and, and our lifestyle from what if I have a full-blown eating disorder and I need help. Um, so I would definitely say seek help for that. Um, it's not something that most people can just quit cold turkey. Um, a lot of eating disorders have those compensatory behaviors where when you restrict or you self-induce vomit or you use laxatives or diuretics, it provides you with an immediate sense of relief, which, mm -hmm. which tricks you into thinking that, oh, I feel better, when in reality, the emotion is still there and you have to deal with that later. So that means, oh, I need to self-induce vomit again, or I need to restrict dinner, or I need to restrict breakfast the next day. So it, it turns into a, a pretty um, serious cycle um, where you may need to seek treatment. So I would definitely say seek out that eating disorder specialist, seek out eating disorder treatment, whatever level of care, get assessed for that. Because um, it can be addicting using some of those behaviors like um, self-induced vomiting, purging by laxatives, um, restricting food. So a lot of people need help or support around breaking some of those habits. So I would say even if you're unsure if what you're doing or the behavior that you're having is considered an eating disorder to, like you said, be assessed and evaluated. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the eating culture of Black Americans. We've talked about force feeding or food pushing. We've talked about soul food and eating disorders. What, from everything that we talked about, is your takeaway from this? Um, I would probably say just talking about it in general, because I don't see a lot, I don't see a lot of black or persons of color in my field. So I feel like the research was right on about a lot of things in our black community are underreported or, or not reported at all. And so we get glazed over in terms of treatment for eating disorders. And then there's not a lot of access to treatment because it is so expensive um, so it was just, I feel like it's, this is an important topic to talk about, um, because we know that in our black community, food is a big deal. Somebody mac and cheese ain't hitting, somebody finna get talking. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's a, a communal thing. We talk about it. We eat together. We feel good together. So I think it's important that we talk about the differences between eating disorders, disordered eating, um, soul food and how that impacts our health and how that health factor impacts our mental health. So, yeah, I think this is very important for us to talk about. What about you? So one of my biggest takeaways is to consider your children when not only discussing how you look or what you eat, but when feeding them as well. Mm -hmm. How you communicate with them about yourself, about your own eating, because children are very watchful. Mm -hmm. They watch your behavior. If they see you're on a diet, you know, every year, every six months, they can grow up, you know, thinking or considering that that's normal. Right. And a behavior that they should pick up as well. So considering them 
um, when you have those behaviors or when you display those behaviors, but also considering them when it comes to putting limits on what they're eating Mm -hmm. or how they're eating and punishing or bribing them using food as a reward or taking it away is something to be mindful of. All right. So before we get into our challenge for the month, we want to do an accountability check. So we asked last month in our podcast for listeners to learn a new life skill. Could have been cooking something new, learning about investing, meeting someone new, making new friends, um, swapping up that resume, learning how to make a resume. So let us know what you all got into, what you did last month. If you're still working on it, send us a chat or a DM on any of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and let us know how you feel about it. Absolutely. So this month's challenge, we want you guys to try something different. So when cooking one of your favorite soul food dishes, maybe try baking the chicken or roasting it or boiling it instead of frying it. Or try that vegan food truck that you've seen posted on TikTok. Ray, have you tried any vegan food? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. That's, I'm, that is not my thing. That is not my thing. I have an issue. <laughs> I have an issue with things looking like something and telling me that this cauliflower is going to taste like chicken or <laughs> this jackfruit is going to taste like pulled pork. I yeah. have the pulled pork. That's me, though. So I haven't gotten into the vegan thing, but I will, you know, I do swap up, you know, what I'm cooking. Sometimes I use my George Foreman grill. I I really don't even fry things that much. And it's not just like, oh, I don't want to do that. It's more so I don't want to have to, I don't like the smell of grease in the house, um, mm-hmm. but I'm getting on a tangent. But yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Swap it up. Try something different. Yeah, I love a good veggie burger, actually. So you guys, we got we have a few in Birmingham vegan food trucks, and I know Atlanta has plenty. Do mm-hmm. yes. So tag us on one of your our social media pages at Melanated and Misguided in a photo or a video of you taking the challenge. We want to see you guys cooking a new meal or trying some new food. So we can't wait to see what our listeners did for this challenge we're ready absolutely and while we are here we also of course want to give you a local black therapist and so we are going to recommend for this month's segment on disorder eating food pushing eating disorders and the culture of eating in the black community um dr crystal burwell crystal with a c Burwell, B-U-R-W-E-L-L. She has a PhD and she is a licensed professional counselor in the good old state of Georgia in the city of Atlanta. Um, She works with the BIPOC community, um, so black people. Um, She specializes in eating disorders, anxiety, highly sensitive personalities, PTSD, complex trauma, ADHD, and depression. So as we mentioned before, eating disorders are very complex. It's not just about the eating or regulating the the food or the behavior. 
it always, always, always stems from something emotional, whether that's trauma, anxiety, depression, PTSD, borderline personality disorder. There's always something there um, that needs to be addressed in addition to the behavior of eating. The eating is just the coping mechanism. So her contact information is 919-739-4158. You can give her a call. She also accepts virtual appointments. So if you don't want to go into the office or you are from out of state, she may be able to accept you virtually. She's located at 2751 Buford Highway Northeast. That's not too far from me, actually. Suite 707, Atlanta, Georgia, 30324. And her website, which is a pretty cool website, you can learn more about her, is at www.drburwellspeaks.com. You can just look her up. If you need more information about eating disorders, disordered eating, or anything like that, check her out on that website. And um, she is very good. And she's an eating disorder specialist, and she's also black. Yes, you guys check, check out, out Burwell if you are in the need. So we've come to the end of session three of our second season. So thank you guys again for being a part of our family. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with the people that you love so much and care for yes and don't forget to follow medicine for the melanated and misguided on facebook and instagram our handle is at melanated and misguided and on twitter it's at medicine with the number four the mm so you can join in on our existing dialogues send us those dms those chats of what you're getting into those challenges that we spoke about so we'll be looking for you Until next time. Take care.